folks happy holidays everyone this is kate mack coming at you with the holiday special and that was just winston marsalis playing his trumpet to jingle bells and for those of you who don't know you probably do though he's a jazz musician from new orleans and was born in louisiana and this song is from one of my favorite christmas albums called christmas jazz jam so if you want to check it out on uh, itunes i highly recommend it um, so I chose this album to feature this morning because it's so upbeat and just fun to listen to. Um, because, you know, Christmas is such a powerful time of year. It's a time to look back and reflect on your year that you've had. And it can feel quite isolating for people who have to work on Christmas Day um, or for people who are experiencing difficult times in their life, you know, due to health issues, finances, uh, or sadly, war. And um, this episode has similar themes from my last one with a brief discussion about music, homelessness, uh, kindness, and uh, today I'm going to be offering up some solutions to deal with the high cost of groceries. Um, so stay tuned. Um, I know that's everyone on everyone's mind. So let's get into it. Let's talk about music and its integral role in bringing people together. So as you all know, I'm a fan. <laughs> I love music. Both sets of my grandparents were musical. My grandfather met my grandmother at a dance they played at in the 40s. She played the piano and he played the guitar. Isn't that beautiful? And apparently my other grandfather played piano for silent films. How cool is that? Um, you know. Uh, I have an old piano in my apartment that I don't have enough time to play. Um, but I do when I'm on break or when I'm visiting my hometown. Sometimes my grandmother's piano is there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, like here I go being a showboat right off the bat on my episode. But, uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, but in all seriousness, I think playing music is so good for your brain and your soul because it forces one to be in the moment, you know, to be present and Music is an incredible art form that requires the use of many competencies. Um, there's a lot of math involved. You know, you have to know the timing and patterns. Uh, and of course, if you're singing with people or playing in a band, it requires collaboration, which is something this world needs a lot more of. And, you know, I really wish talented musicians, local, national, international, had more of a platform to advertise themselves. I always say to people that I prefer the old stuff, you know, like Nina Simone, Elton John, Henry Mancini, Tina Turner, the list goes on. There's so much great stuff out there. Um, there's actually a lot of good stuff that's not necessarily being advertised through major channels or by big companies. And I know this because my friends are always sending me music that they heard about um, by going to see music at a live venue or through word of mouth or by just, you know, staying on YouTube for a while, you can find stuff. And uh, when we were kids, we had a station called Much Music. We're teenagers, I guess. And I believe the process of deciding which songs to feature was much more transparent. In other words, it wasn't totally all about big companies calling the shots in terms of what would be aired. 
you know, they had like electric circus that featured a big dance party with all kinds of unique individuals doing their thing. And they had interviews with artists and and so much more than that. They had like Ren and Stimpy, which is kind of funny. Um, a satirical cartoon. And apparently the VJs who knew about music were, were kind of more or less calling all the shots at the beginning. Christopher Ward and Michael Williams, both former VJs, described their experiences at Much Music. Quote, For the first few years, we didn't have to answer to the sales department. The VJs decided who to play and who got exposure. Much Music also forced CBC Radio and other broadcasters to play music by artists they would never consider. That was important because the country needed to be pushed in a direction that would facilitate success for the local, national, or Canadian artists and give them a platform to go international. So there you go. Back in the 80s and 90s, the process of selecting music was, mu was much more transparent and not driven by, um, by big, driven by big companies. You know, today I think we've really got like a top-down approach. Um, anyway, I'd like to see some kind of platform created for musicians and by musicians that are not necessarily backed up by huge corporations. Um, you guys know if you listen to this podcast regularly that I actually, I, I actually volunteered um, I laugh because I don't think I was very good at it, you know. I didn't spend enough time practicing, to be honest with you. But um, anyway, I volunteered at a local radio station when I was younger. And it was so awesome because you could handpick records to play. Any record you wanted, as long as it was 60% Canadian and 30% whatever else. Like, how cool is that? And um, I think something we can do to find out about local musicians is, I repeat, go to venues where they feature live music. Um, always do that when you're visiting a, a town or city. Just go to where the music is, right? Um, and like social media is also a great way to find out about good music. And don't get me wrong, I am generalizing in this podcast a bit. Uh, but there are some featured pop songs that I really like too. Like Lady Gaga is a lot of fun. Um and uh, the new versions of his songs Elton John has recently put out and collaborated on with others. Those are great, you know. Um, but we, you know, I'd like to see um, local musicians and, and Canadian musicians calling the shots more, you know. So, yeah, in my last episode, uh, that's my little rant about music this morning. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> um, uh, so, in my last episode, I discussed the importance of questioning this system and the way we do things. And I also talked about some serious issues like homelessness and food insecurity. And as I mentioned, I do believe different echelons of society need to start collaborating to solve this issue, these issues. Collaboration is the stuff that keeps the world moving. Um, we're better together, you know, sharing our strengths and working Together, that is the key to human survival. And, you know, speaking of food insecurity, I came across some statistics that saddened me in a lecture I watched in a course I took this fall. In 2012, 4 million people in Canada reported food insecurity, 
which the speaker Valerie Tarasek suggests is a very likely it is very likely an underestimate. In in northern places like Nunavut, food insecurity is more prevalent. I'm sure you all know that. Hmm. And as Tarasek explains, food insecure food insecurity is a huge problem because it leads to other health problems. You can have problems with your teeth. You can develop a disease, you know, just by not eating healthy for a long period of time. Not, e- not eating healthy foods for a long period of time. Not eating what your body needs, you know. Um, she mentions uh, solutions like food charities and food banks and how they are simply not the answer. They're a band-aid solution. She notes that most food banks are not actually used by Canadians and that people who use them are not, quote, rendered food insecure, end quote. She also mentions that 62% of people who experience food insecurity are in the workforce and are earning a low salary. So I'm not going to summarize the entire lecture, but I did think her suggestion to change public policies so that people directly receive money, you know, can buy more food. And you can find Tara Suck's speech, The Whole Story of Food Insecurity, on YouTube if you want to check it out. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, it's heartbreaking, but it is good to know. It's good to be informed, right? Um, so speaking of the price of food, oh my goodness. Have you guys been to the grocery stores lately? Um, I don't know about you, but lately I've had to start apologizing to people around me because, in the aisles because I've started... Like growling out loud and mumbling under my breath, you know. I'm like, like, really? Like, hear me going, really? No, really. <laughs> and the store employees, they they're kind of like my friends. I know them really well because I'm at this store all the time. They're like, they say, "Oh, just close your eyes, honey, and put it in the cart." And I laugh. We laugh. It's not a laughing matter, but yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Um, so I was talking to a friend the other day about the high cost of groceries and we were like, there's gotta be a better way. We live in Canada for crying out loud. And then we had an idea after lots of discussion. Um, and actually it stemmed from, a, a company, a company strategy. So this company I came across recently called NADAM, N-A-A-D-A-M, it might be NADAM, They sell beautiful sweaters from cashmere purchased from Mongolian herders. And here's their story as written on their website. It says, in 2013, college friends Matthew Scanlon and Diedrich Regizimus, apologize to you if I did not pronounce your name correctly, traveled to Mongolia's Gobi Desert and became friends with the local herders. After witnessing firsthand how traditional cashmere traders drive up prices and take the profits, the duo realize they could cut out the middlemen, pay their herder, pay their herder friends more, and sell luxury clothes for less. So there you go. By cutting out the middlemen, i.e. big corporations, locals receive more money for their products, and consumers don't have to pay as much. Uh, my friend and I were thinking we could do something very similar with farmers in Canada. Now, I know what you're thinking. We have markets. We have like farmers markets 
on Saturdays and Sundays and sometimes during the week that people can go to. But I'm thinking more about a big sort of warehouse or big general store in every town and community and city that would be open like all the time. They could keep regular business hours and the money could be given directly to farmers and other local merchants. The only condition, of course, would be that the food prices would have to stay low, i.e. they have to be <clears throat> kind of like what they were before inflation hit. Um, because there will inevitably, like, um, yeah, so, sorry, um, this initiative would have to be subsidized by the government or, like, even a private franchise. Whoever would like to take part in this could do so, you know, um, because it's inevitably going to need some upkeep and we're going to have to pay for transport and all that. Um, but if we did this, if we did this community initiative in every part of Canada, like, think about it. Think about all the benefits that could ensue. It's better for the environment because there would be less emissions from transport. It's economically more efficient. And it's what humans have been doing to survive for hundreds of years. And, um, yeah, I'm going to say this again. It's not communism. <laughs> it's, let me say it again. It's not communism. <laughs> um, I always ask for suggestions for, uh, from the listeners, of course. Now, the reason I say it's not communism, because everyone's like sharing and all that. That's communism. No. Um, let me tell you, in 2007, when I was reading the National Post one day, it said that wealthy people in Russia were 15 times wealthier than the average citizen there. And I don't know if you've looked around lately, but we got something like that going on here too, you know, with these social media owners and whatnot. Um, I'm just trying to think of ideas, you know. I might be dead wrong, but we got to do something differently. I do know that. Um, we need to start being thoughtful about what matters to us and how we do things. We need to invest in people, not things. My goodness, it's so expensive not to, right? All these Band-Aid solutions that just aren't, aren't working, right, long-term. They're not sustainable. So let me explain what I mean with a story about my grandfather. When he was a young man, he worked in a shoe factory in Fredericton after he came back from World War I. And he loved the outdoors. He was a real nature man, and he really wanted to run his own farm. So having very little means, one would assume this dream today would be impossible. But he had a friend who really thought a lot of him and offered him a mortgage he could you know, gradually pay off by working the farm. Um, and just outside of Fredericton, uh, too. Like it was just you know, 20 minutes outside of Fredericton. So he woke up every morning and had breakfast over the wood stove or cooked breakfast on the wood stove and just apparently loved running a farm. Uh, he enjoyed growing things and keeping everything in balance, so to speak. And apparently, the story I heard, <laughs> this is kind of funny, uh, was that my great-grandfather bought a horse in town and rode it to his new farm. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know why I'm assuming it's because he didn't have a car or maybe he just wanted to ride his new horse out to the farm. 
Um, yeah. So is that a New Brunswick story or is that a New Brunswick story? Eh? Um, and apparently his wife was just a doll. You know, she was always so sweet to the child, the school children walking by the farmhouse in the mornings. Uh, she used to give, they used to give them apples from the farm. And uh, she also managed to cook bread in the wood stove, which I think would be very difficult uh, to do. Um, and it was her, it was she, rather, who said to my grandfather, I will go to the farm with you, but you have to promise my boys will get an education. And they did. Um, they did amazing things in the medical field and in engineering and like they had to work really hard on the farm to raise up money to go to school. And I'm not saying like university or college is for everyone. Like, especially today, things are changing. Um, but you know, I'm just saying like, um, but because of this one person, uh, giving my great grandfather a break, um, you know, it, it had a major contribution to to the world, right? Um, made people's lives a lot better. Um, so, you know, I, I'd like to see more of that, you know, more investing in people. Um, so I hope this podcast, on that heavy, heavy, serious note, I hope this, pi- this podcast finds you well today and enjoying the holiday break. It just started here uh, for Nova Scotia and... Um, uh, for teachers, and the first thing I did when I came home was was this, I sat down in this yellow chair to do this podcast. It's just aching to do one all fall again, but I just didn't have time. So, um, oh my goodness, I have to tell you this story before I go. I had this this really kind comment made by a student in my class the other day. We were having our hot chocolate party, last day of school on the last day of school, and it was super fun, and. Um, <laughs> One of the kids came up to me and said, um, Ms. McLeod, uh, some of the kids are saying that this, this hot chocolate tastes like water. <laughs> and I started laughing and I said, oh no, I'm so sorry. I said, I can play a song on the piano. I can paint a picture. I can solve a math problem, but I can't make hot chocolate. <laughs> This is really funny, and um, I never take myself too seriously in front of the kids. And um, and then one student replied, "Miss McLeod, I think you make amazing hot chocolate." <laughs> oh, what a great kid, eh? Oh, and like it's funny. It's, it's not like we didn't have enough powder or anything like that. It's just I just I don't know. I didn't know how to mix it, you know. Ah, oh, goodness. So his parents should be very proud. Uh, they taught him well. So. And then, um, of course, I said, back to the kid, I said, back to the student, I said, uh, well, I tried my best, and that's all that matters, right? And then he just sort of nodded, you know, what a great kid. Um, So again, I I hope this episode finds everyone doing well in this holiday, and that everyone gets a chance at some point to take a beat. And for those of you who have to work during the holidays, I applaud you and hope that you find some time to yourself at some point. Uh, I used to have to work all the time during the holidays, and like it's all right, it's it's not bad or anything, but you know it can be tough, and in particular it can feel isolating, like when everyone's at home with their families kicking back, and you're like the only you're like a tumbleweed, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, 
So whoever you are and wherever you are, happy holidays and happy new year. And as always, remember that love is an amazing thing. And if you pass it on, there's no stopping it. That is a quote I got uh, off a card I received from someone dear to me this week. And I wanted to share it because I thought it was so awesome. And it's true. There's no, when you pass on love, there's no stopping it, right? It's, yeah. So on that, I'm going to sign off with a song by some Canadian folk singers for anyone who might be feeling sad and lonesome. Uh, this holiday season. It's a very pretty song. And, you know, typically I'm not really a huge fan of folk or country, but I came across it on the on CBC in 2008, and it really is a very pretty song. So here it is, folks. The Littlest Birds by the Be Good Tanyas from their album Blue Horse. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Holidays. Thank you.